Welcome to episode three of Beloved by God. I'm so grateful that you've joined us. Our testimonies are an incredible gift that will glorify God and highlight the restorative and transformative powers of Jesus Christ. Your story, no matter how difficult or painful, will inspire hope in others. His power was made perfect in our weakness. He is our rock at rock bottom. Witness how God transforms trials, messes, and tests into triumphs, messages, and testimonies. This week, we will hear from a friend of mine named Joe, who is a pastor on a college campus, and a dear friend of mine who makes me laugh a lot. Prepare to be encouraged and entertained. But first, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Joe and his heart. Thank you for giving him a beautiful family and a platform to make a difference for the kingdom of heaven. I ask that you bless the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Amen. Let us begin. Amen. So, Joe, I'm just grateful to have you on this podcast. And I want you to know that I consider you a hero. Um, to me, you're not just my hero, but you're a hero to many in our community, especially the ministry that you do. So, thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate it. I feel very normal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're not normal to me, and I think, you, you know, sometimes we got to be a little bit radical um, to, to reach people and, and reach hearts, and you do that here. So uh, first question I have for you this afternoon is uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your backstory, how it was for you growing up, and maybe start from the beginning with a bit about your life before Christ. Well, sweet. Yeah, I, I was born at Boxdale Air Force Base in Bossier City, Louisiana. And uh, my mom, it seems to me that she liked men in uniforms. Um, she married a couple of those guys uh, throughout the years. And uh, we ended up in Bossier. I enjoyed that. My, my biological father kept moving with the Air Force, but me and mom stayed in the Air Force community. And uh, she was working at the hospital, and uh, I was going to a place called Plantation Park Elementary School where I learned how to break dance, uh, parachute pants. Nice. You know, the, uh, I had a red tape recorder with anything that was dance music related. And so uh, I had British Knight, Michael Jordan tennis shoes, and I literally would carry gigantic pieces of folded up cardboard on the school bus. Wow. You know, because me and my crew had to get our dance on on the playground. <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, but I'm like, to be honest with you, I felt cooler than I actually was. Like, you know, when I look at pictures, I'm like, whoa, I was, <laughs> I was a pretty scrawny, nerdy kid. But, you know, with fashion, I would go to school all day. Uh, you know, I'm dyslexic. So they, back then in the, uh, I guess this is, you know, early 80s, they would put, dyslexic and ADD and all the trouble kids in their own classrooms. Right. So, you know, my kid, all my friends were not really winners in that uh, system of trying to help people with learning disabilities anyway. Right. So that was my dance crew, my best friends. Most of us uh, rode the bus to YMCA after school. And uh, that's where I learned Kung Fu. Uh from the first grade to fifth grade, <laughs> it's absolutely useless because I tried to defend myself with Kung Fu multiple times. Praying manis will get your butt kicked. Nice. So, but I gave it a good run. The um, so it, you know during that time, my mom was dating multiple different men, and uh, she um, she could find a guy quick. And so it was you know my brother was a teenager football player, wrestler. Uh, he was much older than me. I was a, a surprise baby. And so he was wild. I went to high school parties as a, you know, pre-Ker to fifth grade. I've seen a lot. Yeah. 
seen and been a part of cop chases and eggs and high school fights and like, you know, poker games and drunk people. So my brother went off to college and uh, my grandpa passed away. So we moved to East Texas. I went from parachute pants, everybody wearing Wranglers. <laughs> That's a big Man. change. Yeah, that was, it was a shock to the system because the first day of school, I remember wearing a white Miami Vice like suit, you know, the like white pants and white jacket. And I had a a neon green shirt. I showed up to this country school, you know, all the girls thought it was cool. And then all the boys explained to me with their fist how uncool it was (laughs) on the playground that day. (laughs) Welcome to Texas. Yeah, welcome to Texas. And so my fashion changed (laughs) real quick. And so, because I didn't want to stand out, I just like, I need to blend in. And, you know, I think we've all experienced wanting to blend in. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, my family, you know, my my mom, she did meet a guy. And it's crazy because we live with my grandma and my stepfather lived in Louisiana and worked at uh, Louisiana Downs, a horse racing place. And uh, so he would come in two days a week. Monday and Tuesday and we just lived with grandma and uh, I loved my grandma you know she grew up in the Great Depression and she uh, her claim to fame is during World War II she uh, like well was a welder oh, wow. in the Houston shipyards right. because there was not enough men so just like the yes we can poster. yeah literally so I have that poster in my house okay and um, she was tough smoke Marvel cigarettes from morning until night I mean, nonstop. Yeah. And uh, guard, like she had a huge garden. I was pulling weeds and, you know, raking. Like she was all about, you know, my mom mom was OCD about a clean house. And that was from grandma. So I was cleaning two houses, you know, like, well, two trailer houses. Yeah. And so, like, and doing yard work. There's no mercy on the young, uh, but a grandma that grew up in the Great Depression. But, I felt very loved by my grandma. She was a rock. Uh, My mom, you know, later in high school, I found out mom was bipolar, which made a whole lot of sense when somebody explained the definition. It helped me make peace with my mom because it was like it was always extreme, super fun, super charismatic. Right. Uh, A lot of my personality, honestly. Uh, But so when she felt crazy and and, uh, unstable, uh, I noticed if she st- went out in public, we, we were going to have a run-in with the law. Right. And so I learned how to talk to cops at a very young age. But also, I noticed that when she felt like she was emotionally unstable, she would just hide in her room, yeah. which I think was the best thing to do. And honestly, I was a safer. I mean, really, just in that childhood, you know, uh, I became friends with a kid named Jeremy Higginbotham. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he had scoliosis, and you know, he, you know, he was that kid that played the trombone, and he had a, he wore overalls and a pocket watch, and like was really into band music. And I would go over to his house because after he had a big scoliosis surgery, and play Sega, like uh, Contra. I can't remember. It was a two yeah, shooter game. Yeah, shooting the little beads. Yeah. Like the little oh yeah. Jumping at you. And that was the best. Kind of fell in love with. Him as a person, and he was just, even though he was in a whole lot of pain and you know had this physical problems, he still like he was very like 
positive about it. Right. Now, his families were Christian. They didn't really understand that, right? You know, they didn't cuss. They didn't, uh, they were polite and prayed before dinner. And I've seen other people do that, they you know, at restaurants. Dance. Yeah, and there were no break dancing. <laughs> you know, like, honestly, I was a risk for me coming into their house because I, you know, I, you know, I was watching Full Metal Jacket in the fifth and sixth grade, you know, just there was no censorship. And so, you know, stealing uh, not my grandma cigarettes because I was scared of her, but, you know, stealing cigarettes and, you know, drinking whatever I could find, trying to be tough and brave or whatever. I didn't feel cool. I kind of like just tried to sit towards the front in the middle just to stay away from the super bad kid. But those were the people who they were in the same boat I was in. So no matter what, I had more in common. And, I, you know, to me, sitting in the back class, in the middle of the class, I would see the smart kids and the put-together kids, and I wanted to be that. But I knew not possible where I was at, you know. So I just, you know, made the best of it. And, like, I had one kid on the bus. He was a senior in high school, and, you know, he sold drugs, and he was in and out of jail. Like, he was bad, man. That kid picked on me like nobody's business. And to be honest with you, like my freshman year, I really, you know, I'd go in into my parents' room when mom was gone and then my stepdad had a three fifty seven Magnum revolver and I would like look at that all the time and fantasize about taking this gun and shooting that kid on the bus. Right. And I would know, I was like, man, that's dark. But I was scared and like I could complain to the principal. No one was helping me. And so I would feel this anger and anxiousness and frustration every now and then i'm like man maybe i should just shoot myself and be done with this because i don't feel like i'm going and there's when i looked at my life how am i going to get out of this chaos i had some kind of weird hope like guys if i could just get through high school then i could be my own man and get some freedom from and i was like i'll just join the military and a bunch of my friends did it didn't help. But anyway, <laughs> you know, hindsight. But, man, I'll just I'll join the military and get away from here. But Jeremy Higginbotham was a kid that would, like, we constantly just kept hanging out, riding bikes, camping together. Like, I spent the night. His parents, like, would make me do chores, but they fed me. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I'll do some chores. I actually did the chores faster than he, he did because I, like, his mom cooked food. My mom, like, you know, it was you were on your own. I watched their family dynamic and went to a couple of different church services and realized, like, man, like, this is real. Like, these these Christians that I'm meeting through the Jeremy Higginbotham and, and his dad and his dad's Christian friends, that, man, I need, I want what they have. You know, coaches and right. teachers that had a relationship with Jesus. You know, to all your teachers out there, man, students are watching y'all. My teachers gave me hope I could be somebody. You know, they were the only sober adults other than the Higginbotham's that I knew that were competent, put together. And I I looked at them like superheroes in wonderment, like, man, they're so cool. (laughs) I I thought my, you know, my principal was an ex-Marine. I'm like, man, he's the coolest guy on earth. And you're not supposed to think your principal's cool, but man, this dude was cool. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be like these people. But through that process of going to FCA, Jeremy Higginbotham constantly invited me to go to church. But I thought if I went to church, I had to clean up my act, right? <laughs> so, get in shape before you get yeah, to yeah, church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was scared of church. And, and, and here's what's funny about being scared of church is 
um, I just didn't know what was going on. (laughs) The first time I went, they did the Lord's Supper, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm sitting in there and uh, they're talking about Jesus' blood and I'm like, these people are crazy. That's a cracker. (laughs) That's a great, I mean, that's grape juice. juice. I didn't, I don't understand symbolism. You know, I'm like a ninth grader. I'm, my reading is, I'm reading on a fifth grade reading level because of being in the special ed things. And like, I just thought they were crazy. And you had this mix of old people and young people and, you know, um, and, you know, here I am, I'm rough around the edges and I feel like I stand out at church because I don't, I don't understand dressing apart. Um, but you know, I'm talking during church when I'm not supposed to be, and I'm like, right. people are poking me and telling me to be quiet. And I, I don't, it's offensive because <laughs> I'm like, I'm being good. You don't even understand what I got. <laughs> and like, who? I loved the message and I was scared of the message. I love some of the people at church. And frankly, some of the people are like, those people are jerks. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this weird mixture. I wouldn't go regularly. This is like once a month thing with him. If I spend the night on Saturday night, it was mandatory to go to church, right? At the Higginbotham's house. He invites me to go. I knew I needed it. I knew I needed Jesus. I knew that was real. But I was scared to death. And so uh, I I literally uh, would ride my bike. And, you know, when Higginbotham went around and I would try to talk to God. I'm like, God, can you get me out of this? Like... What am I here for? And I think those are all questions young men or women, I think everybody has them. I went fishing on a Saturday morning, and this guy, it was my freshman year, man, and uh, this guy on the football team, just he was a senior in high school, absolutely hated my guts. And I'm never going to say his name. One time I said his name out loud, and people looked him up. It's like Lord Baltimore. You don't talk about just, his name. Yeah, just leave it alone. <laughs> and so I've been fishing. I caught some little brims in this little creek. Uh, on Lake of the Pines and uh, everything back then that whole area that was in I was showing my wife on Google Maps the other day my old house all the roads and places I played in woods and places I fished but it's all these government road dirt roads and uh, because where we're at it's low sitting the uh they have these ditches that you could lose a school bus in right oh wow I mean you know we've seen these they're all over South Louisiana sure um so I'm riding my bike on one of these roads heading back to my house, and I'm, hey man, I'm probably 8, 10, 12 miles from home. you got to remember, I got, there's, there's no supervision right. whatsoever. Um, and so I'm riding my bike by myself. It's probably like 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I see a red uh, S10 pickup truck, you know, a little Chevrolet, those squared body ones. And it comes rolling up. I see the, uh, I see there's two guys in it. And I, they're slowing down, so it's polite to stop and talk. Maybe they're going to ask me about my fish. You know, some old guys. And it's, dude, it's the bully and his, like, best friend, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, man, this, this sucks. And my heart's pounding out of my chest. Dude, my heart's pounding right now. Just scared. And this, now, this is before I'm a Christian. This is just anger me. Yeah. He, he rolls the window down, and he looks at me, and he just looks me dead in the eye, real intense. And he just... Looks at me, calls me a dork. And man, I got an older brother, and I don't know if any of y'all got older brothers. You know, you get used to getting beat up. All you really have as a younger brother is vengeance and words. You know, uh, <laughs> he pulled off. He was just driving off. And honestly, I don't know what happened to me. 
but I had a, a little CO2 pellet revolver, right? Yeah. And uh, that was in the back of my pants because, you know, it's, it makes you look cool, right? <laughs> and uh, as he is driving off a turnaround, I shoot his pickup truck. He's probably about 20 yards from me. And I, I mean, I did just like a movie where, like, I draw it out and I, like, bring it down slow and I squeeze the trigger. And I remember hearing, bing, and it was a very satisfying bing. I mean... One of the most glorious moments of my life because I showed him, right? Right. Like, <laughs> like you can't call me a dork. <laughs> anyway, I saw his brake lights come on and I realized that was a bad decision, you know? Like, my heart, it, it just was like, well, why'd you do that? Right. And so I literally dropped my fishing pole, my, my BB gun, everything, and I, like, I know a beating's coming. So I crank on my bike, and I'm riding my bicycle. This is my old BMX bikes, man. I had uh, spray-painted it yellow and red because of some movie called Rad or something. Anyway, and it's not a good spray-paint job. It's all over the rubber tires, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I got, I'm in a trailer park, so I'm hauling butt, right, <laughs> on this bike. And uh, you, have you ever rode a bike so fast it starts skipping? Yes. Dude, like, that's probably happening every 10 yards. But he's kind of doing this Austin Powers thing because it's these ditches. Right. So he can't just U-turn and get on me. So he's trying not to get his car in a ditch. Sure. As I take the left turn, I see this church that Jeremy Higginbotham goes to, right? right. His family uh, called Lakeview Baptist Church. And uh, I'd been there just a handful of times. And I remember one time that Jeremy Higginbotham said at one of the events that I was at, it was a youth event, and they, we shot skeet after Sunday night church in a church parking lot. That's how country this place is, right? right? He says, we leave the door unlocked in case people need to pray. And so I'm like, bro, I need to pray right now. <laughs> so I, I remember like, like going up this gravel church dirt road to get to the church, and I remember saying, God... If if that door is unlocked, I'm gonna follow you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I made a commitment. I made, and we've all made promises to God, right? Right. In the heat of the moment, stress of life, and uh, man, I made a bunch of those. I go and I check the door. Door's unlocked. And I open the door, throw my bike in, slam the door, and I locked it because he don't need to pray. This bully ain't coming up in here, right? right? And I run to the back of the church and make sure I sprint because there's a back door. I lock that door. Dude, you know, he drives up in the gravel parking lot. He knows I'm in this church. There's only one place to hide right. on that dirt road, right? And so he leaves, but I know he's just staging up somewhere. Sure, he's waiting for you to come right. out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, man, this ain't good. So I go, and the, back then people had, uh, these churches had directories with pictures and phone numbers and addresses. And I remember there was a phone. This was when like digital, you know, not digital phone, like, Hard, hard line phones. So I run in there and to the church office and I flip through there and find this uh, Higginbotham's phone number because being dyslexic, you can't remember nobody's phone number. I remember typing that number in. I'm like, hey, Hig. And he, he goes, where are your parents? Oh, they went to town. Oh, my God, oh, man. I tell him what I did. And he's like, man, that's dumb, you know. Yeah. And uh, he goes, I'm coming to get you. Now, you got to think this kid is wearing a, a back brace from under his armpits to his hips wow. to help his scoliosis. Yeah. And he was the first kid I've ever seen with elbow pads and knee pads and a helmet. Right. Listen, we were riding three-wheelers with no brakes. And we, like, I remember I saw a helmet on television. I was like, that looks dumb. Yeah, there was no such thing as concussion protocol back yeah, then. Like, that looks dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, 
I thought when you, you know, after you wrecked on a three-wheeler or a dirt bike, you couldn't walk straight for a while. I was like, oh, you're just dizzy. You'll be okay. <laughs> but that was a concussion. Anyway, <laughs> bless his heart. You know, he plays the trombone and freshman marching band. So he, here he comes, man, on his bicycle, right? Neither one of us are winning. And uh, he rides up. I let him in. And, like, we just hang out and goof off for a while. Yeah. Almost forget the threat is out there, right? Sure. Sure, you know, like you... The storm is over. We're chilling, and uh, Vin. Here, we're good. Yeah, we're eating all the like lifesavers that the church has. We done drank some that the Jesus blood that I was scared of. The grape juice I found the bottle in the refrigerator. We know we ate all these. We were just eating all these crackers. They were just staring that stuff up. Dude, going through the cabinets. Anyway, we finally get bored. It's like, dude, it's been a long time. Let's go home. So we get on our bikes. We start riding. Bro, here comes that red S10 pickup truck, man. Like, dude, it's flying down the road. He sees us, dude. And I know, man, I'm in it. You know, as he's getting out of the truck and coming towards me with his power fisting, right? Like, dude, you know, like a video game. He is going to destroy me. I commence to cuss him and shuffle with my fist up. Like, I have something. I, You know, I'm probably... 115 pounds yeah to he's 265 maybe maybe 300 he's a big boy yeah. like, there's no winning in this fight but you know you're gonna cuss like you are cussing at him and calling him names and and uh remember thinking like man i'm gonna kick him in the crotch first or gonna punch, you know yeah, i'm running through the scenarios and duty as he's going to throw the punch it's it you know the fight's on yeah he's in pension range and higginbotham jumps in front of this dude and takes the lick Wow. And knocks him out cold, man. Who does that? It's crazy. Like, so he falls on the floor, you know, with back brace, you know, on this dirt road, falls there. I just remember, like, screaming like Wolverine because he knocked out a handicapped kid. Like, yeah. kind of monster does that. Right. So, dude, I go mad him with everything I have. I woke up on the ground, too. Wow. Yeah, I wish I had a cooler story. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. You know, when Higginbotham asked me to do anything, I said yes. Yeah. Like, that's my bro, you know. So when he asked me to go to church, I'd go to church even if I didn't want to. Higginbotham shows up one day with this guy named uh, Brian. And Brian, uh, I, can't, I wish I could remember his last name. It's skip, But Brian, uh, Jeremy Higginbotham goes, this guy is called a youth pastor. And, uh, and youth pastors, uh, they specialize in preaching to teenagers. Right. So the church, you know, made it, you know, Got this youth pastor. He was going to ETBU, East Texas Baptist University. And we were living in East Texas with my grandma. And, uh, man, started going to church with him. Not regularly. And he was the only person in, that I knew that had a BMW. It made me go to church because I wanted to ride in the BMW because he can buy them like. So I know as shallow as that is, I went. I even been in a vehicle with leather seats. I like I like the fanciest thing. It might have been, you know, to me it was a Rolls Royce to, or something. Right. You know, so here I am, man. Like we're in this BMW ride to church, and the way this guy preaches, it's easier for me to understand than the the pastor on Sunday mornings. And um, so I started going on Wednesday nights, and we and uh, he was just super cool. Yeah. Uh, I they talked me into going to youth camp. I got in a fight the first day of youth camp. Uh, I didn't understand youth camp, and so I just remembered they gave this kid a swirly. This uh, some high school guys gave this kid a swirly. Yeah. 
uh, he was smaller than them. And I just remember like, Christians ain't supposed to be doing, I'm not even a Christian. And dude, I like, I went after the biggest one of the- With Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah, really crappy Kung Fu. <laughs> so, I, got, I got sent home. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but I got, I came back to last, I got to invited back to last night of youth camp. Okay. So, Jeremy Higginbotham was gonna sing a special. And uh, this guy preached uh, after Jeremy sang uh, songs like "Amen." He just said that twenty times or a hundred times. It was like cool. Just, yeah, yeah. And uh, but this guy preached about that Jesus proved that he loved us by leaving heaven and coming to earth, and uh, proved that we he deserves our love. What more do you want out of Jesus than him proving that he loves you and, you know, and giving his life up for you and giving you salvation by trusting in him? And, and man, it just, it hit me. Yeah. I mean, it hit me like I had felt God's spirit upon me at different times of my life pulling at my heart or encouraging me in moments, dark moments. And so I got up, man. I was walking down to the front, and uh, I was very emotional. I probably looked angry, yeah. right? Like, I'm going to give my heart to Christ, you know, <laughs> just with fury. <laughs> like, I'm, and I'm at the back yeah. of the church because I'm a troublemaker, right? Right. I'm gonna sit in the back. With you one just of, got invited back. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I'm going pretty fast, and my football coach catches me, yeah. and now grabs my arm. What are you doing? I'm going down here to give my heart to Christ. And he said, oh, come over here and talk to me. And I'm like, what? What's going on? He goes, oh, you, you guys get emotional. He opens up his Bible. It makes me slow down. Yeah. And then he makes me read the Roman road, verse by verse, like four or five verses. He got them highlighted. He made me read, and he goes, you believe that? And what was good was I'm glad he made me slow down Yeah. because like, I read it. He asked me a bunch of questions, so I understood it. Not just felt it, but understood it. Right. And then he basically tried to talk me out of doing it. Wow. You sure you won't do this? Because you got it like, you become a follower of Christ. This is it's real. Yeah, this is this difficult road. Right. Who does that? Right? And I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And so I say the prayer. And, uh, man, I really 100% went out of doubt. Felt like a million pounds lifted off of me. I, that was the day. Yeah, I felt light. Right. Uh, like I, there's a celebration that's happening in my heart. It's like hallelujah moment. It's a like, and I'm crying. Right, I'm embarrassed. I didn't. After I said the the prayer, that's when the emotions like flooded and I cried. Right, so I go to the back of the room because I'm so embarrassed. Right, and I'm facing away from everybody towards the wall. You know, everybody's singing songs. You know, really cheesy Christian music songs. You know, it's youth camp in the '90s. And I asked God, I said, God, this is I, I feel set free. Thank you. And I'm like just praising His name. And I remember saying something really funny because you're a teenager, right? I said, God, I'll die for you. <laughs> I made this decoration. <laughs> I just remember a small, still voice said, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me. Oh, wow. And that scared me. Yeah. I got scared. I was like, whoa, that's, I understood the gravity of 
living for something bigger than you. Right. And uh, here's what's amazing is after that, I'm processing, and the, the music seemed to last forever. I'm processing that I've, I know that my life at home is not going to get any easier. Like, my mom's still going to be bipolar. My grandma's still going to be kind of old and mean, right? Uh, I know that the bullies are not going anywhere, right? right? I know my stepdad that we have this weird relationship where I'm like, I love him. I'm afraid of him. He's not my father. Like, I try to stay away from him. I know all that's not going away, but I got this new peace that I've never had before. Right. And so I'll go back home. With peace, man. Yeah. And uh, my youth pastor that took me to that thing gave me a survival guide, right? I get baptized that Sunday. It must have been glorious for all those adults because, you know, I was this wild kid, right? right? And that, like, cussed. Well, yeah, he's decently tamed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was... He was feral. Now he's a house cat. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I'll still bite you. <laughs> 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 like... You're just not going to die. But the, uh, so here I am, boom, I gave my heart to Christ, come back home, I get baptized. And that Sunday I get baptized, my youth pastor's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to grad school, I'm leaving. Oh, and dude, that was like the biggest kick. In the stomach. Oh my gosh, because like, all right. But he gave me a, a thing called a survival guide. It's basically a reading plan to read through the New Testament. Yeah. He just said, you need to read this every day and you need to pray. What teenager listens? But I did it. Wow. I just like, all right. I just went through the thing and it went back through the Roman road. It went back through all like the fundamentals of Christianity, but I read it. I really read it. Just read it. I loved it and breathed it in like it was real for me and it was like life giving. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, my life story. So I was an angry kid. The anger flipped. Right. Um, the malice, the anger, um, the judgmental, like I was, and I judged everybody and I had to rationalize. My judgment was like, I'm better than you because I'm this and you're that. Or like I categorized people and, and just was very cynical and all that and went away. I just, I was just inviting people to church because I was like, man, this mess is real. It changed me. It's supernatural because I'm not capable of being non-cynical right this is an act of god like for me to look at somebody and love them and i hate their guts uh, and even love my mom in a healthy way and in my it changed my whole dynamics and relationships with them that's good so yeah that's kind of the the long version of my testimony well how has jesus changed your life and in what ways has he blessed you yeah i would say he gave me ability to forgive and love broken people where they're at mm. so my mom being bipolar I just was able to love her and instead of being mad at her all the time for being having incompetent moments or not paying the bills or you know scream cussing or embarrassing me at Walmart yelling you know just the bipolarness being crazy uh, or passing out you know and sleeping and I can't move her physically now like I just was patient yeah and my relationship with my grandma grew really close to her because like man I was thinking like a mature human being I probably was acting bipolar yeah 
you know, probably bipolar, depression, all this stuff was affecting me and then give my heart to Christ and there's hope. Reading my Bible, praying, getting up before school, getting myself together and then going to school with the attitude of who can I love today? Mm. Who can I encourage today? Who can I befriend today? Being a friend instead of waiting for somebody to be my friend. Right. And I think that is carried over into my adult life. Like having the eyes and hard to see people and accept people for where they're at and whatever walk they're in. And I think that's only, you can only get that from God or unless you've been down a hard road. Right. So I, I loved a lot of nerdy, dorky people that were difficult to love, but God gave me this, I would say a supernatural power yeah. to do that. Can you tell our listeners, you know, what your role is now and kind of how you got into ministry? Yeah. Man, I got into ministry. Um, so I was good at getting people to come to church in high school. Man, my, you know, my youth pastor loved that. But I prayed all through high school that God would give me the ability to talk to anybody. Yeah. I know that sounds dumb, but like I, I was afraid of talking to people and being in new circumstances. And God gave me this being brave. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to college in Louisiana at Northwestern State University. And uh, man, I, I was excited about getting out of that small t- town. It was always my dream. Yeah. Jeremy Higginbotham was going to go to you know, a musical school and get a musical degree. And I wasn't interested in any of that. And it was a Christian school. I didn't understand that. So I'll go to this secular school at Northwestern. And uh, these two guys knocked on my door and invited me to come to BCM. And I went in there, and I loved it. I mean, absolutely loved it. And uh, I met a guy named Robert Scott. He was one of the first people I met. And he was like a junior, a senior, and he had fought in Desert Storm. Oh, wow. And he was there on his GI Bill, right? And he had this huge cup of iced tea. Yeah. And like my first moment I walked in, there's this like, you know, ex-military tough guy with this huge glass of tea. And he's like, hey, you want some tea? But he just handed me the whole like mug, yeah. and I drank out of the tea. I'm like, I like these people. These, they, these people are crazy, right? Right? And then they invited me to go to a Bible study on Thursday night at his house, and it was like all these senior dudes, tough guy. You know, I'm a freshman. You know, at this point, I'm like 155 or 45 pounds. You know, just now I'm not much bigger, and I want to be cool. Right? And these are these guys are studs. Yeah. Right? They got fish tanks in the living room it's like a bachelor pad you know like like oh they dress cool their apartment's cool like it's everything you want college to be like my dorm room's not cool yeah. you know what i mean i got posters of airplanes and you know these dudes right they don't have cheesy posters these dudes are cool and they had a bible study in there and you know of course they had tea they had cigars i didn't smoke cigars because I did the smoking thing in high school, and I was like, oh, if you want to be a real athlete, you can't smoke, right? Sure. But I'm like, these dudes love Jesus, and they're smoking cigars. It's kind of cool. <laughs> so, right or wrong, I don't know. You know, you, you can argue with me. I just thought it was cool. And uh, so I started going to BCM all the time and got involved. Made a guy named Lane, Lane Corley to actually invite me to come to BCM and Thomas. I would go help out with their youth groups. They were both youth pastors at local churches. And then uh, Lane... He was going to go to seminary, and yeah. so I ended up being the youth pastor at his church. Nice. And that was, like, the coolest thing that ever happened to me. We'd go to dorms uh, on Thursday nights. We'd pray at the BCM, and uh, it'd be a handful of us, and we'd go. We'd pick a hall, yeah. and 
to share the gospel with people. Okay. Like, like cold calling. Cold calling gospel no. sharing, bro. Wow. And you, hey, I prayed for that skill to talk to anybody. And so, man, I, man, I probably shared the gospel individually through that process than most people will their whole life in, in just one semester. Yeah. You know, most people are like, I've only shared the gospel once. Man, I was just, this was like, I might have five or six gospel conversations. And what was better by my sophomore and junior year, I was smoother yeah. at it and more patient and not as pushy. Because uh, I learned, you know, reading body language and, right. and timing and, you know, oh, they're smoking weed. Let's go to, the, you know, they're high, blitzed out of their mind. This ain't, right. we'll come back another night. Sure. <laughs> you know, so the, uh, but anyway, so just being around people who are on fire for the Lord. Yeah. So. What are some of the things that you guys do here on the campus? Yeah. Well, the, um, what's really cool is we got a building right across the street from campus and that, years ago people raised money for and you know i appreciate all those people that donated money and louisiana baptist convention and and local churches and local church members raised and built an amazing facility and uh man it's amazing and um we have a simple slogan uh help students know the gospel what that means is we want them to own the gospel we want it to be their gospel like we want them to have a relationship with jesus not their parents faith not their grandparents we and that's part of your christian journey at some point it's got to be you and the lord and and you have to foster it and grow it and pursue after the lord so we want them to own their faith And the second thing is we want them to uh, share their faith on campus and with their peers from co-workers you know whatever little job they got wherever their roommates uh, but we want them to share the gospel Um, and so we do events we're here on at our building to try to get students to come and hear the gospel and then we'll reach out to them and invite them to a small group so we do these things called small groups where we've been this fall we've gone through the parables each week they read a new parable they discuss it i train college students to lead bible studies pastor their small group and uh and grow their small group and man because the college students want to hear about jesus from college students right their peers you know they see me as a paid professional and they like me but they want to know does another person my age actually believe this is it real for them because i want it to be real for me but i just need to see somebody else so you want to create a place where they're doing the ministry and i'm not doing all the preaching and and evangelism i'm trying to train them up to do that so we do small groups we have a free lunch program and in the free lunch program i use local churches to provide meals for those uh the students and so we'll have anywhere from 70 to 100 students come to that meal program we actually have to stop advertising it because the churches can literally not cook enough wow. food so we and when i see we get to that 100 mark we stop advertising usually we'll drop down to 80 so uh we usually have a student share the gospel i share the gospel we'll have mission trip opportunities at that lunch and then we do a worship service on tuesday nights and we have a freshman bible study but the worship services i try to get local pastors or people that i feel god leads us to to ask them to come share testimonies sermons and then we do mission trips Speaking of the mission trips, what would be your favorite mission trip you've ever got to experience? There's a guy in Hawaii named RJ, and he's a campus minister at the University of Hawaii. And RJ, I, I want to be RJ, right? He's like legitly cool. Yeah. And he's just, he loves people and he loves students. And so I love taking college students to Hawaii. That's my favorite mission trip there is. And I've been to Haiti, I've been to the Middle East, I've been to Europe. 
um, Mexico, like Canada, like you name these places have been there. But like Hawaii is my favorite because RJ takes us away from the touristy places. Man, we get to see the real Hawaii. Right. Like we get to do real difficult ministry. Um, uh, most of the time I'm taking the majority of my kids, I'm taking Hawaii or white kids and we stand out in the right. places RJ takes us. And it's, it, you know, so you're in a deficit because they're opinionated and I get it. And you really have to serve out of love to like connect with people. You have to be genuine. And why I love Hawaii so much is a lot of people don't wear watches there. Relationships have the highest value. And so time doesn't matter as much as people. And so um, when we do ministry, these kids get to have really long, heartfelt conversations. Because so cool. the Hawaiians all ask. Yeah. They want to uh, talk story, get to know you. And uh, man, it's my favorite place to do ministry. Cool. My favorite verse, and my students hear me say this all the time, it's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being... In very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And I love this passage because it shows you how humble the created universe is and what links that he will go to to reach us. Like he says he made himself nothing, right? Like God created us out of the dust. He breathed life to Adam through his nostril and like he's like hey I, I made myself into nothing that's humbling and I became a, a, a servant and, like, and it's crazy if you look at Jesus's life he served people and uh but he didn't use his godly powers for his own good he used them to bless others as when he was in the human form right and being found appearance as a man he humbled himself even obedient to death and death on a cross man so that that's my savior. That's my Lord that I follow every day. And when I look at this passage, he is worthy to be followed. Amen. Just this passage alone, if this is all I had of who God was and who he is, it's enough. Yeah. And if there's anything that our listeners can do to support your ministry in the, in the BCM, I know you guys have a website. Uh, what is y'all's, how can they do that? Yeah, so our website is bcmragingcajuns.org. Um, you can find out everything that we do on that website and sponsor a college student on a mission trip, uh, different events that we have. You can sponsor an intern, which helped me from day-to-day -day operations, and they're usually seminary students, or training to be pastors, or in between. Uh, we have a, a, a send 10, and basically what I've been trying to do for the last couple of years is get people to send $10 a month. Yeah. Uh, you can put whatever you want, but hey, I'll take $10 a month. If I could get five, 600 people doing that. That's enough. Yeah. yeah. yeah man, it'd be a huge blessing. So um, that. none of the money that's donated on that page goes towards my salary. Yeah. So uh, my salary's taken care of, and uh, the money is used on students. That's awesome. So. Love that. You told me once about how you learned how to baptize people. Yeah. How did how did that happen? How how was your first baptism? Yeah. So my first baptism was at Graywood Baptist Church, and uh, you know this girl that gave her heart to Christ, uh, very sweet, very innocent, just a step behind. But she understood. You know, her family and us, everybody agreed that she understood what the gospel meant. She saved it. Very timid girl, and I'll never forget. She um, she can't swim. And uh, because of her condition, she doesn't like to be under the water at all. Right, right. Like she has a lot of fears. 
And so uh, my pastor, before we did the baptism, takes me up. We get in the baptistry, and he's all like, hey, you know, uh, when you baptize them, hold their face, you say this prayer, and uh, you ask them if they follow Christ. And then if they don't go down, when you, you know, you get them to hold their hands in the face, and if they don't go down, you can like do this judo kick and knock their legs out from under them so they'll go all the way down, right? So I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm like, I'm more excited about the judo kick, to be honest with you. So right. anyway, so it's the day of the baptism, the Sunday morning, the whole church is there, and man, that place was slam-packed. All our family's there, and uh, I come in on one side, and uh, I have to come out and make an announcement, but there's like spiders in the baptistry, like these big spiders on top of the water. There's like two or three of them on her side of the baptistry. Like, bro, she's like looking at me and shaking her head no, and I'm like, I'm afraid of the spiders too, (laughs) too, you know? I'm like, bro, this is ain't... All right, but she comes down. Like, hey, she had the courage to overcome spiders Spiders yeah water yeah Yeah. so she comes down right and you know i ask her if she's followed christ and she says yes and she you know we do the yeah we get her hands and i pinch her nose help her pinch her nose and you know i'm supposed to say uh baptize you in the name of the father son and the holy ghost and i'm like i baptize you in the name of the holy ghost the son and Jesus, like, <laughs> totally, I said all the right things. Just in the wrong order. And, and totally out of sequence. <laughs> I'm like, and like, I know I'm doing it. And I, I just, I'm making it worse because I'm trying to like, I want to fix it. But I'm like, I'm like, oh, you're an idiot, you know. Right. <laughs> so I say it. And I'm like, I might as well just dunk her because I'm messing everything. <laughs> I want to just get out of there. <laughs> so I grab her. And as I go to push her under she reaches up and grabs the glass, oh boy. the baptistry, like, you yeah, know, so she's not going on. She's not going on. She grabs that thing with a death grip, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, snap, leg kick. I <laughs> dude, I was on top of it. Leg kick. I judo kicked her legs out, right? And listen, I judo kicked this girl's legs out, but she is hanging on to this glass. And so I got her hands and then I literally jump up like you're going to like push your little brother or sister down in the pool up kind of like up on their shoulders i jump up and press on this girl (laughs) with an angry face like i come in and push her in right and she her she comes out like goes her arm comes off i get all of her but like maybe four percent of the top of the hair on her head and she comes out and dude so she's then totally submersed yeah and but everybody cheered. I cheered, and uh, power bombed her. <laughs> power bombed her. <laughs> so in front of the whole church, she leaves, and like my pastor could not stop laughing. <laughs> and so that's been that's I would say ninety percent of my ministry life has been a hot mess like that. Yeah. Like man, if it could go wrong. Uh, it's going to go wrong. And so, you know, one of the things that we, me and my wife have in our bathroom, I have a couple of things that I live by. The first thing I live by, and I think this is a good entry point, is to love God and love the person in front of you. I look at that every time I brush my teeth. I look at that phrase, love God, love the person in front of you. So every person I meet that's in front of me has value. The second uh, little picture frame we have is... um, don't take yourself too seriously. 
Uh, sometimes when we become followers of Christ and we're spending time reading God's word, we're going to church, we get a little too serious. Sure. And we forget that we're saved by grace. Right. You know, we get feeling good about ourselves, man. We're disciplined, like we're getting after it, like we're being productive members of society. And that's when we usually crash and burn hard. Right. When we think we got it. Yeah. And then, you know, when I was younger and I crashed and burned, before I understood this concept, I would crash and burn real bad. Because once you feel like a loser, you just dive into it. Right. I shouldn't even try. Sure. And so I had to let, let that part of go. Like, oh, everybody makes mistakes. So don't take yourself too seriously. Right. And the third one is laugh. This, this world we live in is broken. Right. And honestly... I would say everybody I meet is broken. Even followers of Christ that love the Lord are getting after. They got some kind of tension and drama, some type of pain and suffering that's going on in their life. And sometimes all like, I just need to laugh a little bit and cut up a little bit. I've been to a lot of funerals, a lot of bedside situations that are grim and, uh, just a little bit of laughter is good for the soul. Absolutely. And some prayer, you know. And, you know, you really need Jesus in those moments. Amen. So. Thank you for listening, friends. If you want more Beloved by God testimonies, you can visit us at belovedbygod.com. If you would like to support our ministry, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash belovedbygod. Your generosity goes 100% towards producing more episodes, which I'm forever grateful for as it's a one-man production at the moment. Please help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with a friend. You can also sign up on the major syndicates to have the episodes downloaded when available, so you never miss a moment. Due to scheduling conflict this past week, Nathan will be joining us this week. Prepare to be inspired by his story and life. As always, see you next week, and remember, God loves you, and so do I.